Hi, everyone. Welcome to Get a Word In with me, your host, Josh Wagner, connecting with friends from different locations and vocations, discussing yesterday, today, and beyond. And today, beyond, we're going to mud country. We're going to central Vermont. And you actually know they have five seasons in Vermont. And right now, it's season number five, mud season between winter and spring. And you know what? In terms of mud, there's nobody in this business that I would be more proud of to get my hands dirty with because this is a woman who gets shit done. Not scared to roll up the sleeves and make things happen. Today, I am so happy to connect with Ivy Mix. How are you today? Up in mud country. And by the way, I heard you got a woodchuck problem. Uh, we actually, yeah, we do quite bad. But actually, yes, everywhere. Tis the mud season is the best woodchuck season because woodchucks can burrow in mud easier. So they build their homes during this time of year. God, I'm so happy to see you. That's how we're starting. That's how we're starting. We're talking about woodchucks and mud. It's wonderful to have you here today. And I'd like to start off all these with a dinner table introduction and how I would introduce you at a table. May I introduce you to the dinner table? Please, please, please. All right, my introduction. This is a self-proclaimed glorified drunk feminist who's the co-owner and head bartender at Leenda. How you doing? Leenda, which in 2019 received a James Beard nomination for uh, Most Outstanding Bar Program. 2015, Tales of the Cocktail, Ivy was named the Best American Bartender. 2016, wine enthusiast said she was the mixologist of the year. 2019, going back to Tales of the Cocktail, Ivy won two more awards uh, for philanthropy and the world's best bar, uh, bar mentor, which she did win alongside her co-founder of another massive accomplishment of Speed Rack, which was founded in 2011, which has not only raised a million dollars for breast cancer awareness, but has also provided a platform to elevate female bartenders and their position within the hospitality industry. This woman has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Imbibe, Esquire, Fox News, Today's Show, You Get My Drift, Google her. <laughs> she's a big deal, and I'm so happy she made time to connect with me today. What did I miss? <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, someone you can get your hands dirty with, but she makes shit happen. And Ivy makes it great to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so stoked to see you. Next. <laughs> so let's start off with a good story. So Ivy and I were talking a little bit earlier, travel, everything. Ivy and I come from a business where we've had the fortune of being able to travel places with brands that have taken us uh, to some extraordinary circumstances, like situations and and just ultimate destinations. Can you share a story of one of the most amazing, ridiculous brand trips you've taken? Yeah, uh, I think the first one that pops my mind, perhaps because it's you and I talking, is the trip you and I took to France together. Um, it was absolutely insane with Grey Goose, and it involved helicopter rides that, whoever's tuning in doesn't know this, our host here has a pretty crippling fear of heights. And that was one of the first that's one of the things I remember the most. You, you couldn't get in the helicopter. You couldn't eat on top of the Eiffel Tower. You were just like, this is not good. But it was amazing. We like went to multiple chateaus. Um, I spent probably the most time that trip with you and Ben Carlotto. Yeah. He, he, rest in peace. Yeah. One day was more extreme and outrageous than the next as far as like opulence is concerned. You know, most of my brand trips, I specialize in Latin spirits. So most of my brand trips are core 
and around the, you know, Latin American world. It's a little give or take, but it's definitely interesting. Yeah, no, it was that trip. The the theme of the Grey Goose trip was fly beyond. And like, just like you said, I am absolutely terrified of heights. So like the first day was like, let's go to the top of the Eiffel Tower and dine, like looking down at the ground from death heights. Great. Next morning, let's go on a helicopter trip and have cocktails like at Versailles from Paris. And then the next one was, I was like, if there's a hot air balloon tomorrow, like everybody just needs to like completely just distance themselves from me because I'm going to have a breakdown. Anyway, it was an amazing trip. And Grey Goose, we stayed at Les Logis, which was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the most insane it was just so, it was so absolutely insane. I have also had never been to like grape country so much. So like seeing the vineyards over there. And I was, I mean, it was so beyond. I stayed in a, remember I had my own tower at Lulaji and I had this bed and the bed board, the headboard was just sterling silver. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, I know it sounds nuts for us to talk about these things today because they are luxuries that we all do long for. But I think, you know, for people like us in the hospitality industry, they gave us an incredible experience. And, you know, we, we have to really gear up and think about how we're going to be able to provide great experiences for our guests moving forward. So, yeah. Anyway, I want to talk before we get into some stuff. Uh, I want to talk Vermont. Tell us about your location. Where are you? I am currently in central Vermont, uh, where I was born and raised. The funny thing I think about COVID and quarantine, so many people in the world have just reverted back to childhood status, like gone back to live with mom and dad. You know, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm still like, mom. So here I am hanging out. My mom's got a beautiful house. Central Vermont's the place to be uh, as far as just you know, th there are 750 people or less in the town I grew up in. Wow. Very small. Um, isolation is just kind of a way of life here. Um, that's, you know, on those levels, it's great. Um, on the other levels, it's weird because I'm not in Brooklyn. I have no idea how my bar is doing. I'm hoping that there's still that rats or something haven't taken over in the two months we've been closed. But, um, yeah, it's really beautiful. Like, I, I said to someone the other day that I feel like I've never been a one percenter but right now I'm the one percenter of luck. I'm just like very privileged and lucky to be in Vermont. It's, it's insane. So does, does anybody in your town, did anyone have COVID? There were seven reported cases in my entire county. Wow. So, so business as usual. Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone's wearing masks. Um, you know, I was joking that we're not New Hampshire. I, I'm close to New Hampshire is where I do my shopping because you don't have to pay sales tax. <laughs> so the liquor stores, it's great to go. You always go liquor shopping when you go in New Hampshire. Um, yeah. So, so I do lots of my shopping there and in New Hampshire, people are less um, worried about, about masks I found, but in Vermont, you know, for the most part, people are wearing them. I mean, sometimes not, but for the most time, most part people are wearing them. Yeah. All right. Well, definitely a big change from Brooklyn. You're sitting out in the woods. And I love how you said so many of us are reverting to our childhood, which is which 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 is so true. All right. I'm going to get into some rapid fire questions. Ivy has no idea what I'm going to be going in with her. You ready for uh, some questions, which I'm sure you're going to knock out the park? I hope so. Yes. First question. Toughest bar shift you've ever had. Uh, it was the. Saturday after Sandy in New York City 
I was working at Clover Club in the back room and we were on a hill, so we weren't affected by Sandy. No, it wasn't a Saturday, it was a Wednesday, but it was bananas because everyone was treating it like a holiday. So it was the craziest shift I've ever worked and it was amazing how clueless people were about what was happening just 10 blocks south. Um, but it was definitely the craziest shift I've ever had in my entire life. Next question. What are you absolutely completely bored of right now? Zoom. Okay. When I say PPP, you say? <laughs> Honestly, I say Pamplona Pussy Posse. <laughs> okay. Okay. We, 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 can that later. <laughs> we can get into that later. What is the most stunning place you've ever worked or had a shift? Um, fuck, that is a really good question. The first place that comes to my mind, comes to my mind is I worked a catering event with Leyenda underneath the Brooklyn Bridge at Domino Square Park. And it was like, it was one of those, you know, PR agencies put together. So there was like baskets of fruit. And like, it was just like extremely beautiful. And it was a beautiful sunset and it was summer. And Jesse Harris, who's extremely handsome, was bartending. And I was like, this is like, this is great. <laughs> If this was every day, <laughs> I would be so stoked. Okay, next question. If if you can only put three cocktails on a menu, what are they? Go. Negroni, margarita, mojito. Is there such thing as too many video cocktail tutorials? Absolutely. Have we reached that point? Oh, we, we reached it before COVID even started. We reached it. I'm not gonna throw anyone on the bus, but whoever's listening, you know who you are. You're annoying, please stop. <laughs> what is the most intimidating guest or person you've ever served? Uh, J James Gandolfini. Why? For sure, because he's actually like the Sopranos. He's actually <laughs> James Gandolfini in real life. <laughs> like, yeah. he is that. Hulking, oh, I mean, you know, rest in peace, but just like hulking over his bar stool and I was just like oh yeah terrifying Him. do you remember what he ordered I was working at this really shitty place in Williamsburg and he was the only person in there it was like all of my celebrity experiences are like that it was just somewhat they come in because no one's in there and I'm like ah mm -hmm. um I remember he had popcorn to snack on but I can't remember what he had to drink <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> how many countries has the alcohol business the booze business brought you to uh, Name them. Jamaica, St. Lucia, Martinique, Mexico, Peru, Chile, Argentina, Brazil, Canada, Berlin, France, London, Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia. Mm, See, whoever told you that being a bartender was not something to do, it can make you travel the entire world. Yeah, the reason why I'm in this industry. Oh, Italy. Yeah. And the Netherlands. So, so probably between 15 and 20, I would say. Amazing. Okay, let me ask you a question because this is a reality that you're dealing with right now. Are cocktail books a luxury of the past or a necessary or more necessary now more than ever as you're about to launch a book? Yeah, I hope the answer is the latter. Um, I think they're more necessary now than ever. I mean, if people are stuck at home, 
then people should learn how to make a good drink at home. Um, that is, if the cocktail book is like just about making drinks, like my cocktail book that I have coming out and so many of the books that I really, really like are about so much more than that. Mm. It's about the history, it's about this. And, you know, if you're just sitting around watching Netflix all day and you like to drink, educate yourself in the things that you're drinking and then make a good drink. You know what I'm saying? So I hope that they become more valuable and more, you know, important. Well, I, I can't wait to read it because if people don't know about Ivy, you know, Ivy spent years of her life, like four years, I believe, straight living in Central America and calling Antigua, Guatemala home, one, one of the most fun, interesting bars I've ever been to called Cafe No Se, which is in a small town you know, about an hour outside of Guatemala City called Antigua, which, fun fact, was the fourth largest city the Spanish ever built in all colonial America. Did you know that? Yeah, true. Right, Way to go, Wikipedia. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I'm really looking forward to yours because you're doing Spirits of Latin America and all the influences it's had there because I know your book won't just be cocktails. It's going to be the stories of what made those cocktails, which I think is so cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's called Spirits of Latin America, a celebration of culture and cocktails um, of Latin America. And the reason being is that, well, I'm kind of like a, like so many bar people out there, especially cocktail bar people, um, I am like, I'm a closeted intellectual. I was a philosophy major in undergraduate and, you know, I'm a geek. I'd like to learn about stuff. And the book is like, if you could break it into thirds, it's like one third cocktails, one third history and one third kind of anthropological study of spirits, you know? So it's, it's, yeah. a little bit, it's fucking cool though. I mean, I really had a really great time writing it. I got to travel all over South central south america into the caribbean to research it um it's been pretty it's, it's epic it's epic i mean it's, it's it's certainly an interesting process and i'm hoping that people will really be able to learn about these cultures and these histories and these people and the and the things that they produce there um especially like we're in this time right now where everyone's so afraid of the other you know like oh you're this and you're that no one can understand anything but if you would like to drink margaritas, you should probably learn how to accept Mexican people. Yeah. You know, um, same goes for daiquiris and all sorts of stuff. I really feel that food and drink can be a bridge culturally amongst us. And that's what I hope what people get from the book. I'm now just picturing you with like an Indiana Jones cap on, like going throughout South America and like investigating these cocktails. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> More okay. or less. <laughs> More like hanging out with my friends and making them teach me all the things that they knew. I'm like, teach me. Which is, which is awesome. Let me ask you one more question about cocktails. What is the single cocktail you've ordered the most in your life? A Negroni. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you your perspective of back of house workers and the undocumented workers that make our entire industry live. How do you think they're coping right now? I mean, not well. Uh, you know, so we, there's frequently the reason why maybe you put these together back of house workers are the undocumented workers. Um, it's easier to pay really low wages under the table than it is to pay front of house. Um, unfortunately. So it's not good. Unemployed, unemployed, undocumented workers cannot file for unemployment. Um, which is crazy because they still file taxes because um, everyone usually has like a fake social or what have you. It's a really big problem. And I've been pretty involved on different levels since all this stuff started happening 
working to try to reopen bars and restaurants across the whole country, but also thinking about like employees' rights and you know and and owners' rights and operators' rights and like all all these things are are going to be happening. But I think that our whole industry is, especially in the states, but all over the world, is going to see a really big shift, title shift, right? Where it, the model has been broken for many, many, many years now. Like our, our operational costs and our rent and our pay, all these things, the fact that we make people tip because we can't pay our employees enough front of house, it means that something's probably a little bit broken. Um, I mean, probably, I mean, definitely is broken. So I think that we will start seeing a lot more service charge fees once things are open back to normal. This is all, you know, very ethereal bullshit phrasing. We, have, we know nothing about it. But when those times happen, I think that we're going to see people trying to, foods could be more expensive, drinks could be more expensive, all this stuff is going to be happening because we're going to have to pay people better. And the restaurants are going to have to be able to stay open. Um, so I really feel for my back of house. I mean, my documented back of house people um, are actually making more money in the United States now, most of them, than they ever were working in a kitchen, which is highlights how fucked up that is because they get the $600 ancillary uh, unemployment check. But all the undocumented people, like if you're lucky enough to have a boss that can still slip you, you know, 500 bucks a week, 300 bucks a week, or what have you, then you're lucky. Um, but most people do not have that. And so that means that we were, we're two months into this madness and they have nothing. And it's... COVID's just highlighting the problems that already existed. That's why I really feel that very much so. But it's sad. It's, it, it's sad, but I think, you know, the, the silver lining of it is that finally, like, we it's in our faces. This is not going anywhere. And right now, you know, when things are the most difficult is when you actually have to push back, right? This cannot be ignored anymore. So many things in the hospitality industry as a whole need to be not just reevaluated, just actually say that didn't work, not trying to go back there, change, done. Right, exactly. People are like, I can't wait till we're back to normal. And I'm like, the only good thing about this is exactly what you said. You can look at it and be like, okay, we've just highlighted what's so fucked up about anything. Like, literally anything. It doesn't have to be the hospitality industry. Be like, I don't want to go back there. Yeah. Like, I don't want, it's like Joe Biden running for president. And he was saying for a long time, we're going to go back to normal. It's like, fuck normal. Let's improve. Yeah. You know? Like, I, I think this is a wonderful evolutionary period of time. It's not something let's reset. Let's go back. No, thank you. This is evolution. We needed this in the business. It's profit sharing and rent control. It's, it's, it's ways that we can evolve and make the, the, the service industry a better place, the functions a better place, make it more profitable, make it make more sense on people's pockets future dreams, aspirations, everything. Okay. And just, like shorten the gap. Like we're just, yeah. there's the rich, rich, rich and the poor, poor, poor. And we've just been going like this until we're totally out of the frame. Yeah. And now we know it. And now hopefully we can kind of put them back together again, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, maybe Bernie Sanders is your neighbor. You are in Vermont. So all of it's sounding a lot more logical to me right now. Bernie wrote a bill. <laughs> Bernie, good- got, he's, got, he's got time on his hands. I'm just saying. <laughs> Okay, next question. Let's talk about joy for a second. Joy. What does Al Pastor Tacos mean to you? Heaven. Just heaven. You just love tacos. I love Vermont. I am craving a fucking taco like I couldn't even tell you. 
I am craving a good fucking taco. And people always say in the West Coast you can't get good tacos or in the East Coast. No. Bullshit. Bullshit. Leanda makes the best fucking tacos. We make the best Al Pastor tacos. We've these, we have these jerk chicken tacos at Leanda that just knock your fucking socks off. Oh, I'm, I'm hungry now. <laughs> so am I. We're opening up to go next week, though, and we'll have tacos again. I'm going to open up a little taco window. Amazing. You hear that, Brooklyn? Al Pastor tacos are coming back. Leanda's <laughs> windows are open. Come pick up your tacos here. Next thing I want to talk about. Wine. What does wine mean to you these days? Uh, everything. I've always been a big wino. I feel like I stopped drinking. I mean, I drink cocktails, but I don't really drink cocktails, really. Um, I've always loved wine, never knew that much about it, to be perfectly honest. I feel like it's kind of like the horrible thing about cocktail bartenders. <laughs> yes, Alamo, the great Alamo. <laughs> um, $10 bottle of Malbec at Publix. It's keeping me afloat. Yeah, right. My one of my really good friends um, who I'm going to go into business with at some point once all this stuff is done, he owns a wine shop and he's just a wine geek. So he actually mails me wine in the mail. And then I like look it up on my 750 and I give myself little wine classes. So wine is great. I love yeah. wine. Awesome. What is one place you long to return to after all this? Hmm. Uh, besides Leyenda, which I'm amazed at how much I miss that place. I'm just, I miss it so much. Um, uh, I long to return. I long, I long to return to, I mean, my home, to my apartment. Yeah. A long, I haven't been there a long time. I oddly miss flying. <laughs> I'm with you. I love that feeling of getting on a plane. I love the feeling when the captain says, Ladies and gentlemen, seats and trays in the upright position. We're going to be descending into, and right. that feeling you get, like of of what am I going to do in this next journey? Like I missed flying. It puts to me. I've always think, thought of traveling as like dog ears into the monotony of life. So you can kind of look back and be like, what was that day? What did I do then? Be like, oh wait, it was before that trip, and after that one. So you can kind of like it's like you put these little page breaks into where your life is at, and I miss that. You know what? I miss if you and I can hop on a plane together soon. We're going to sit in the seat next to each other. I don't need the distancing. Fuck that shit. <laughs> next one. Your most prized accolade. I know you've got a lot. What? Which one are you most proud of? Probably the mentorship one um, that Lynette and I won was probably the biggest. Um, being recognized by your industry for the work that you've done is really awesome. Lynette. Um, you know, who is my work wife. I, you know, love her so much. She, at one point during the awards, was like, if you competed in speed rack, stand up. And like half of the auditorium stood up. That's awesome. And I was just, I mean, still like, you know, it's like, it's, it was so, it's like, oh my God, yeah, I guess we have touched a lot of people. Um, so that one was really great. And then like on a totally selfish level, I never thought I was cool enough to be nominated for James Beard and Landa was nominated two years in a row. So on a selfish note, I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like my nerdy one, but I'm like, that would be cool. Listen, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being selfish, especially today, right? I think that rule, rules are gone anyway. And I think that people that are proud of what they've done, what's What's the shame in sharing that, right? Like you worked to get something, you got recognized for it. 
Good for you. Clearly, there's a difference between patting yourself on the back, but you know what? You damn earned it, right? And you should pat yourself on the back every day because you, when you just said that whole thing about mentorship and all those women stood up, hell yeah, Ivy Mex. You <laughs> did something absolutely amazing. And so, you, yeah, be proud of that. All right, next question for you. One item every person should have in their home bar to make them feel like they're a cool bartender. Um... Those silicone two-inch ice cube trays that, that you fill them up and they give you the big-ass ice cube. Yeah. Just get that. Just get that. Feel fancy making your cocktail at home. Feel fancy, and then it doesn't melt as quickly, so your drinks do become, like, slushy, watery bullshit from your stupid, like, you know, chipper ice presser thing on your refrigerator. Like, that's not... When it's white and cloudy, it sucks. It's going to melt really quick. It makes you... You know, then your ice kind of tastes like iron and... Yeah. Get ice. Perfect. What is the last good deed you did? Oh, man. What was the last good deed I did? I paid for my mother's antibody test. Awesome. Last regret you had? <laughs> um, last regret I had. Hmm, that's kind of nice. I can't really think of any. That's the nice thing about being in the country. You can't do much. There's not a lot of regrets. <laughs> um, not... Last regret I had, oh, probably not picking up a bottle of Campari at the liquor store. Okay. Yeah. Could have, didn't. I mean, we, we all need another groaning. God knows that. All right. Next, next part I want to talk about yesterday, today, and beyond, but this is something to your expertise and subject matter that we can discuss and take your wisdom. I really do want to take this part, though, and really talk about the future. Uh, you know, we were saying earlier, the new normal. You know what? Everyone stop talking about what the new normal will be. We're living it right now. So let's talk about today and forward, right? So I've got a couple subjects I want to raise to you. You pick which one you want to start with. Restaurants in general, future. I know you're involved highly with the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Um, fighting the patriarchy, uh, mentorship, brand support, service, bars, pick one, let's go. Let's do uh, service and bars. All right, so where do you see the service and bar industry heading? Uh, we, I think we can say that the communities come together immensely. Information sharing is fantastic. I think we also can say very soundly, a lot of people are not going to make it. So where do you see the future of the service of our industry going? Well, I will preempt this by saying that whoever's watching, I know you mentioned I'm part of the IRC, the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Just go to saverestaurants.com and figure out what we're doing. Um, we're fighting for something that we're calling a stabilization fund, which essentially will be like a bailout like the airline industry got. Uh, and we need people to tell their Congress people to give it to us because there's already, I mean, it depends who you talk to. Some people say 75% of American restaurants will close, which I think, I think that's way too high, but maybe I'm an optimist. I think the future, the immediate future looks like we're all going to be glorified takeout windows and sandwich shops. I think that that's, the future. Um, I think the future looks like, I honestly don't know what people are doing, big companies. Like if you're a big hospitality company, what are you doing? Cause like at least me and my partners, we're just like, I know I'm in Vermont right now, but, but I'm going back on Wednesday to work and I've been doing all this online stuff. Like at least we can work. If you own, if you're like this big conglomerate, like how are you running your business right now? 
Um, but I think the future will, like, once this is all done and things go back to normal, um, I think the future will be really bright. I think that how how everyone's dying to get a drink right now, right? And the reason why we're in the hospitality industry is that we genuinely like being hospitable. Like, I gain my happiness from people. I really like to do it. It's what gives me my value in my life. And other bartenders are like that, too. I think that once bartenders and hospitality folk can work again, and once people who like to go to venues can go out again, there's going to be... It's going to be like fucking Woodstock. People are going to be so thrilled to be able to do this. Um, and I think that that's... Hopefully we can maintain that and, like, remember the dark days. So the next time someone writes you a bad Yelp review, you can write them back and be like, you were lucky to come here, motherfucker. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think we have to also be very realistic, right? So um, I don't think people focus enough time realizing that we have very short memories as a species. Like, yeah. you know, after September 11th, people remember that like traveling became this harrowing experience to go to the airport. You know what? Until you flew twice, you knew the rules, right? So I think it's like one of those situations that we definitely are over magnifying a lot of the challenges ahead of us before we've even experienced them. I really believe that there is going to be a process and procedure to enter a bar or a restaurant. And you know what? I may talk about how inconvenient it is until I did it twice. I know the drill and it's a way that I can go back to enjoying myself. I think that we're probably being way too pessimistic on the immediate future. We need to be thinking about adapting, talking about not just what could be, but receiving that message. I'm going to live it. Like, I'm not going to evaluate it. I'm going to be a part of it. And I think that there's a good chance that a bar like yours, I'm going to have to go in, give my home address maybe show some zip on my phone to geolocate myself. And once I get in the door, all good. Because you want to know why? That's what's happening all throughout China, South Korea, Taipei. These are, you want to go out, you want to party, you want to hug a friend, you got to do something to get in the door. I'm cool with that. I'm fine. I don't Wherever. know. Listen, anyone, anyone who thinks that they have ultimate privacy today. Oh, I know. I don't know what planet you're living on. I agree. You know, you know how many people don't even know opening your phone, look at someone who can track what you're doing every single day unless you dig in there and turn it off? Like, meaning if if I've got to put my address down to walk into your bar and to say what time I walked in, I got no problem with that because I got nothing to hide. Right? right. Mm -hmm. Totally. Perfect. I hear you. As long as we can open again, that's just my thing. That's yeah. just let me open. All right. What do you think about the future of service? Like, how, how does that change? Like you were speaking earlier about wages changing and, you know, people, people like us, we have to worry about check averages and how do we maintain payrolls, right? What do you think the future of service is? Like, is, what does engagement look like to you in the, in the future? Um, I don't know. Um, I imagine, you know, cause I'm just like, when I think of the future, I'm thinking of like next week, right? I'm like, okay, what does that look like? Um, I do think that the immediate future looks like, you know, order and take out for a long time. I think it will be like that. Um, I think there's going to be, as far as service, like you say, service and actually serving people, that's going to be really hard for a long time. I think this, there's going to be, it's going to be harder for people to have those human interactions. Um, 
but I don't think it'll be the end. I think they will be able to happen again. Um, but I really don't know. I really don't know what, what this future of service will look like. I so, hope service. Me, I just don't want to be just serving food and drinks and making food and drinks is the least fun part of our job. Yeah. Right? I want to have that connection. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that I don't really know. I don't really know how to, how to achieve that. Well, let me, let, let me put you on the spot because we're just talking, right? So when you get behind the stick and you're bartending, you have certain tools in your pockets all the time. You've got your wine key, you got your apron, you've got your bottle opener, whatever, whatever it is, right? You've got a pen in your pocket, you're ready to roll. Is that now a constant hand sanitizer? Is it a squirt bottle that before you drop the napkin, you're spraying in front of your guest and giving it a wipe? Like what are the tools a bartender or server should be thinking about right now? That can be the flair of service because it is the interaction we're seeking. Like what can be a sequence of service right now that like, you know what? I think it's all about comfort. If the guest is comfortable in our venues, they're gonna come in, right? So like if I go to a bar and somebody whips out a little spray thing, hits my counter in front of me before, I'm like, thank you. I don't need to awkwardly wait for you to turn your back and spray it myself. Like awesome, like service like that, I mean, what is going to the restroom at Leanda gonna look like? What's opening your door gonna look like? Like, is there gonna be a motion center that I don't have to touch something? Like, are there anything you're thinking about in terms of sequence of service that we can think about in the future? Right, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, we're looking into sort of the contactless payment, um, going into absolutely no taking credit cards, no nothing. It's gonna be all Apple Pay, tap your thing, and then that's that. Um, we are looking into, I've heard about places in different cities, like in Philly in particular, people have set up hand washing stations outside their establishments, like full on got a hose, step on a foot lever, wash those hands, go inside or go to the window, whatever. I love that. I I imagine we'll probably do that. Bathrooms will probably have a sanitation log on the door that is signed just for management's benefit as much as peace of mind for everybody else. Like this place has been fucking bombed every 30 minutes. Yeah. Let's stop because we're going to have less staff, right? So who does that? Are you busy? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And then, um, you know, I'm very conscientious about the environment and environmental waste and plastic. I fucking hate plastic. Every time I look at people, this, coronavirus has just created so much waste in the world i don't know if people are going to be comfortable using our glasses i i am not comfortable just doling out plastic cups forever and ever and ever um nor am i comfortable passing out plastic straws forever and ever and ever um you know, my partners were like, we're going to have to get plastic covered straws individually plastic covered straws i'm like fuck that we're just not going to use any straws period no straws. Sorry. Go home. Ah, my lipstick. It's like, it's COVID times. No straw for you. You yeah. know? So, but yeah, every little step counts. I think the biggest thing is how do you limit the touching and how do you make it as sterile as possible? Um, you know, we have like this huge tub of Clorox wipes. Again, it's very wasteful, but I imagine there'll be a lot of squirt, squirt. Nice to see ya. Yeah. Well, your sanitized zone, you know? But, like, think about garnishes. At Leyenda, we pride ourselves with these beautiful drinks and, like, beautiful garnishes. Say goodbye. Never. 
No more orange twist on your Negroni. No more lemon twist in your martini. Say goodbye to olives in your martini. Like, no way. That's not happening. Why, though? Because it's open air contamination and you're touching stuff and you're like, unless you're like super IBA European bartender style, where are those tongs been? Like, you can't, as far as like a sterilization thing is concerned, I think the health department will come down really with a heavy hand. Because bartenders, we're like up front and we're in the privacy of our kitchen. It, all it takes is one person to be like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Why are you doing it that way? And I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. The last thing, so maybe I start doing like, I know people who started before getting orange oil and then atomizing it on top of glasses. So maybe I start doing that. Yeah. You know, yeah. like if I need that, then that's what I'll do. But it's, it's tough. Well, let me ask something, because talking of the future, let's talk about imagination, right? There's a business philosophy if you can totally just reimagine something in the business and throw it on its complete 180. What's one part as a business owner for you in the future that you just want to reimagine one component of your business? I want to reimagine... <laughs> <laughs> the bottom line? No. Um, yeah, but, but that's that's totally yes. That's my point. Reimagine the bottom line. Yeah. What what should it look like? What does my flow through represent? Like what are my costs? Reimagine it. Like right now, hey, Mr. Man that I'm paying rent to, not gonna happen. You want it you want me to be a tenant? You know what's gonna happen? You're gonna be a percentage partner of my sales. And here's how we're opening up the books. What is one part of the business that is thoroughly driving you crazy that you want to entirely reimagine? Um, I mean, rent. Yeah. Rent and uh, sales tax. And well, actually, no, forget all that. Processing fees. Bars should process, and we should be our own processors of, because, you know, all these delivering applications, like Grubhub, Seamless, Square, whatever, they're all just credit card processes, and they are gouging us. And all it takes is a few fucking restaurants to get together. Like, you know what? We're going to do our own. Because the amount of money, like every month, I'm, you know, you're like sending money off to the Amexes and the, you know, the whatever. And you're just like, motherfucker. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what, Ivy? Right now with the independent restaurant coalition you're doing, that is that voice. And yeah. that is something to be reimagined. And one of the things I truly do think that is a silver lining of this moment is the confidence to reimagine. Right? Yeah. There were so many things that we were just accepting as process and procedures. And, you know, if you work in the hospitality industry, you're always taught about SOPs, standard operating procedures, and this is the way it is. You know what? Now, nah. like, we don't need to go that way anymore. And right. So interesting. Let me ask you one more thing. Um, what does mentorship mean for you in the future? We're talking to a woman who was recognized with your business partner as receiving the Oscars of the bar industry, technically, for, you know, world's best bar mentorship. What does mentorship look for you in the future? Um, mentorship for me in the future looks like, honestly, kind of what it has been for a long time. So much mentorship, I feel like, happens digitally anyway, because social media is a thing and all the rest of it. But mentorship to me has always the fundamental nature of it all. And this maybe makes me feel seem or seem very shallow, but we all got to have a job. We all got to make a dollar. And a lot of people are going to lose their jobs right now. So to me, mentorship looks like, how do we get you a job again? How do we reimagine your role? Um, and how do we go forward? You know, how do we, 
a rising tide raises all boats. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing about mentorship. And in some ways it's not going to change much as far as communicating. So many people reach out to me on Instagram and I'll be like, cool, let's chat. Or like, I can't right now, but let's do it next month <laughs> or something. But I think it just looks like making sure that we have an industry and making sure we have a career and pushing forward for that in any way we can. Totally. I mean, I think you and I are our age group. I've got a couple of years on you, but we're the same thing of younger that our mentorship was really physical presence with a human being at a shift and at work. And I think it's so cool right now that it's so much easier to have multiple mentors that you literally can have moments like this and connect like this and really connect with somebody. Years ago, it wasn't like, hey, can I randomly call you on the phone? Like, I can't even text you. Like, what's your phone number, stranger? Like, I wanna get your perspective. Mentorship going forward, like, listen, I know I do follow you on social media. I do follow your career because you are a mentor figure for me of how to address like really real issues, right? Like you smack tough things in the face and say, all right, I'm here, right? Like I know when you roll out your business and I know your future projects are going to be something that I'm gonna look up to, you know? So I think it's amazing. People are mentors without them even knowing these days. Like that wasn't possible 15 years ago, you know? So I, I applaud you for everyone you have mentored and all the ones you will in the future that you even know about or not, right? <laughs> Last thing I'm gonna ask you, Ivy Mix, get your word in. What is your closing word as you sit in mud country, the, the fifth season? What can you share with everybody who's listening that is an Ivy Mix send off? Ivy Mix send off. Um, I hope everyone votes this year. I really hope everyone votes. I think that doesn't matter what happened with COVID. If Trump is elected again, we're all so super fucked that COVID's gonna seem like small potatoes. So please go vote. 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 <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> awesome. Ivy, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're up in Vermont for a couple of days, so enjoy the woods, but I know New York City is ready to have you back. Brooklyn's ready to have you back. Land is ready to have you back. And all of us are looking forward to seeing your future work and see, seeing the future of Speed Rack, everything. So keep doing you, biggest fan. And your book is launching when? May 26th, and it's called Spirits of Latin America. Oh, I'll say this. Please go support your independent bookstore. Amazon's making bazillions. Independent book bookstores can't do shit. Order through them. Awesome. <laughs> Ivy, thank you so much. Sending you love, and I can't wait to see you soon, okay? Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Yeah.